Can music composition be learned and how do you teach musical composition? And can you be a self-taught composer? These questions and more will be answered in this episode with Singaporean composer Belinda Fu. We talked about music composition, how do you teach composition? We talked about the musical life and academic life in Singapore, and we've discussed how do you find your own unique voice as a composer. Let's hear it from Belinda herself. One of the things that I find very fulfilling, um, being an educator, is uh, the whole idea of um, passing on the baton um, and, and passing on some kind of uh, legacy, not to make it sound heavy. And actually, last week, I had the honor of um, attending what we call the Young Artist Award Ceremony in Singapore. So one of my students, he's, 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 he's not a young man, his name is Julian Wong. And um, I, I taught him some uh, theory back then, um, helped him uh, in his application to Berkeley. Um, and uh, he, when he graduated, uh, I kind of introduced him to the musical theatre scene. He was a, a keyboard player, piano for when I was music director. But uh, after a while, I found, you know, burning the candle at two ends. At the time, I had kids, young kids. Uh, they're much older now. And I kind of passed the, the, the gig on to him. And he became music director. So long story short, I went to the ceremony and, and, and I felt so proud. You, you, you know, um, it was such a lovely, fulfilling moment. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's gonna be epic. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Rewind, the Musician's Podcast. The podcast that will help you build and elevate your career in music. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am Amit Weiner. I'm a composer for films and TV and I'm on a mission to help musicians find career opportunities and help musicians find a way in the huge world of the music industry. And today we have a very, very special guest from Singapore, composer Belinda Fu. Belinda, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Amit, my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'll introduce you to all the listeners. So Belinda is a lecturer at the La Salle College of the Arts in the School of Contemporary Music, which is a part of the University of the Arts Singapore. Belinda is a composer, arranger, and orchestrator, and she teaches oral theory and pop composition at La Salle. She has been in the music industry for the last 25 years. Her involvement includes arranging and writing commercial music, as well as working as a pianist, music director for various performances and musicals. Belinda's first love is writing. She has written and orchestrated music for the Singapore and Hong Kong Arts Festivals, and the Singapore Symphony Orchestra. She has also written original music for the musicals Darkest Before Dawn, The Other, Wise Men, and The Three Trees. Her most recent project is Jeremiah, a symphonic poem, and currently she's working on a symphonic dance job. 
And as written in the beautiful bio on the website, let the beauty we love be what we do is her guiding principle. She seeks to draw out beauty from and through her music, the musicians she works with and from her students. Belinda, what a nice bio on your website. And thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I, mean, I, I must admit, though, the bio is a little bit old. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, sure. So maybe we can start with the first question that I always ask. Can you start with describing your musical journey and how you've got to where you are today? Wow. How much time do we have? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I started um, like uh, a lot of uh, musicians here, you know, playing the piano, Asian parents, right? You got to play piano. So the whole classical thing did the grades and stuff. But uh, unlike the dutiful, usual Asian, par- uh, Asian kid, uh, I also liked pop songs. So back in the day, we're talking about the 70s here. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sheet music. So I would listen to the radio or worse still, I had an older brother. I would play his records and try and transcribe the songs. So uh, it started with 1974, Elton John's Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Do you know that? Or are you too young for that? <laughs> sure, I know that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So anyways, didn't have the score, you know, but wanted to play that lovely tune. So when mom wasn't at home and she wasn't, you know, monitoring, wasn't listening, I would just bang and try and figure out the chords. So long story short, I got interested, not so much. I mean, yes, the classical was good, but I got interested in pop music and other kinds of music and film music. Uh, the other thing that uh, got me on my journey was um, I actually didn't make it to law school. So again, the whole Asian parent story, you know, the son becomes a doctor, the girl becomes, I don't know, a lawyer, but I didn't make it to law school. And so I was kind of stuck. And basically my parents said, you know what, we're not giving you our allowance anymore. You go figure out what you want to do with your life. And so I, I had my hands, right? So the only skill I had was to play piano. So I, I started in the hotel lounges playing, you know, lounge music and I got spotted by another musician who said, why don't you join a band? So it's a very long story. But eventually, I found myself in a top 40s band playing keyboards and singing. And the band leader actually asked me, so what do you want to do with your life? Because, um, you know, he, he, he was a very, he was a mentor to me, not just a band leader. And he was looking out for me. And he said, do you, do you really want to do this on stage for the rest of your life? And I said, actually, no. Um, and he knew that because I was helping out with some of the arrangements in the band. And long story short, he pointed me to music school in LA called the Grove School of Music. Um, and to cut a long story short, he, he, we were in a production company and he was in a production company. And he said, why don't the company help you, sponsor you um, to further your music education? So I was very, very blessed, very lucky that they actually sponsored me. And I went to the Grove School of Music. I did the composition and arranging program there. I also did the film scoring program there. And that was what launched me um, into the whole music industry. Upon graduation, when I came back, I was also very fortunate because the same people, the company who sponsored me, um, told me to come back and work for them. So I came back and I worked in the production company and I started doing all this commercial arranging and, and, and stuff. Yeah, so... That is my journey from playing piano at five years old to <laughs> doing what I do. That's great. And about Singapore, so I'm sure for a lot of the listeners, Singapore is a very far away place and very exotic. And from the only time that I've been there, it is such a beautiful place, unlike any Thank other you. place on earth. So first of all, you were born in Singapore, right? And grew up in Singapore okay. as well? 
I grew up. I grew up in Singapore. I was actually born in Malaysia, just north, because my mother uh, was visiting my grandmother at the time, and I decided to come out early. But yes, I grew up uh, in Singapore, and I am Singaporean. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what is the? What, how would you describe the musical culture in Singapore? What music uh, do you have in your uh, radio and in your in the shows that you go to? What is the musical life in Singapore like? Wow, that is a loaded question, Amit. First of all, uh, if, if you don't know what Singapore is like, we are multicultural. So we, I'm, I'm Chinese. I have friends who are Malay, Indians, um, and then there are also the Eurasians, right? But in terms of the, the kind of music we listen to, fortunately or unfortunately, we were colonized by the British. So if you listen to me, I'm, I'm actually speaking my first language. So we speak English. So a lot of us actually uh, grow up listening to... pop songs from uh, America, from the US, or from uh, British pop. Like, I grew up listening to Beatles, The Eagles, uh, Karen Carpenter, Elton John, you know, so all these uh, English pop songs, actually. Um, but of course, we also, some of us, listen to some traditional music, the music of our parents and grandparents, the traditional, uh, some traditional Chinese music, some my Malay friends, for example, will listen to their Malay songs. And I have Indian friends and even Indian students who play piano, but not only piano, but also learn how to play sitar and do Indian classical dance. So there is that traditional element yeah, that some of us uh, are well-versed and I have friends who play Chinese instruments, but also we also listen to Western uh, pop and Western classical music. So a lot of us, uh, for example, when I said I was learning the p- piano, it was Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. Yeah, that kind of classical music, which uh, probably uh, I'm most comfortable or was most comfortable with. Yeah. But Singapore music, uh, we grow up in, in, in this kind of a, a culture of the, the, the ethnic as well as the Western music. Yeah. Um, and of late, I think, and when I say of late, I'm thinking about the last 20 years, maybe, we've begun to ask this question, which I am also asking. Yeah. What is a Singapore sound? If there is such a thing as a Singapore sound. So, in fact, even as we speak, uh, 1st of March uh, 2024, LaSalle, uh, the University of the Arts, we're going to have a symposium where one of the panels uh, will uh, be discussing this topic of what is the Singapore sound. And it's, it's, it's quite a, not a new topic anymore, but we're getting composers, local composers, practitioners, musicians to come together to discuss what it is. Because, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're fairly new. Singapore is 58 years old, so quite a new nation. Uh, and because it's, we're like a, a, a fusion of, of different types of people, it's become a very interesting question. And, and some composers have already begun writing, obviously, music that they say, no, this is, I believe, a version of the Singapore sound. It's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll let you know when we find an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Very interesting. So, and in your own music, you're a composer, right? So, and you compose music for uh, ballet, operas, and symphonic uh, pieces. So, in your own music, um, do you also combine those Chinese traditions with Western music? Or how would you describe your own musical language? Oh, I mean, you're asking some very difficult questions. Okay, to be very honest, well, in the past work that I've done, I've not even thought about A Singapore sound. In the past work that I've done, I mean, you've heard Yob, right? Uh, symphonic dance. 
some of the scales I used were what I perceived would be fitting to that setting. So it wasn't even a Singapore sound. So what I'm trying to say is, uh, I am still trying to answer that question myself. I have done projects. I have done three or four pieces, smaller pieces for string quartet, for mixed strings, for example, for sitar, erhu and cello. So erhu is the Chinese, sitar, the Indian uh, stringed instrument, and um, cello, Western. Um, and those were my explorations, you know? They, they, they're not, I wouldn't even, yes, they're my compositions, but how do I explain this? Um, I'm still exploring. I, honestly, that Singapore sound, I'm still exploring. Right off the bat, when you ask me to write a song or when you ask me to write a piece of music, honestly, my language is English. My language is still Western. My language is still the Western symphonic uh, sound that I have you know, grown up with. So at 58 years old, and I don't mind saying my age, I am trying to find a, a different voice. I'm trying to find something from my past you know I, I i have heard chinese traditional music i i grew up next to a mosque a, a, a muslim mosque and i hear those calls to prayer and they're beautiful so i've grown up with those sounds but um it's still not quite yeah not quite a part of my my vocabulary just yet although i i feel like uh, there's something more that i out there in the past in the traditions that i need to tap on Interesting, interesting. And I think we will discuss it a little bit more later because I, I have uh, more questions about you as a composer also as, uh, later. But first of all, about your position at the La Salle uh, College of the Arts, and which is also a part of the Singapore University of the Arts, right? So can you explain for those who don't know, what is the La Salle College of the Arts in Singapore and what is your position there? Okay, so uh, the La Salle College of the Arts is one of three um, major colleges, okay? And uh, what we are trying to create uh, is to come together with the NAFA, which is the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts, to come together um, and uh, create the, the university, so a bigger entity. Uh, my position in La Salle has been, uh, I teach nuts and bolts, the theory and the oral part. Um, but I also teach pop composition and composition as a uh, main study, what we call main study. Um, but we try not to replicate, you know, each other, like trying to, we have different uh, strengths. So our composition program, unlike uh, Yong Suto Conservatory, uh, I think you've, you've heard of, of them. Yeah? yeah. And of course, NAFA, um, we're different in the South because the slant that we are taking uh, in the composition program in the South is more commercial meaning um, we do pop composition, we learn how to write and arrange big band, and then later we learn how to write uh, and arrange music, orchestrate music for media, so for animation, for games, and film. Yeah, So it's a slightly different uh, uh, kind of composition program. So my position there is I kind of head that uh, department, but I also teach nuts and bolts, which I thoroughly enjoy and the University of the Arts in Singapore is uh, is new, right? It's a new institution? Yes. Okay, so yes. can you describe a little bit about that? And you said before that actually you speak English in Singapore, right? That's the yes. first language. So if international yep. students are um, planning to go and study in Singapore, they will study in English, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. English all the way. So English is our first language. English uh, is the language of commerce, 
and the administrative language uh, and education. In the past, we had what we call like the Chinese schools where you learned your core subjects in Chinese or some other language. But but for the most part now, all our schools, uh, I can say, are, you know, they, they instruct in English. Yeah. So back to the University of the Arts. Yeah, your question was about that. Yeah. So it's a coming together of the two uh, major colleges in Singapore. Um, of course, LaSalle College of the Arts, where I work, and also NAFA, which is the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts. So basically, the government, you know, this is is is, is what they 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 did. They put they're putting together these two colleges and make it a larger entity. Yeah. Um, as for me in La Salle, what I teach, uh, I teach what we call I call nuts and bolts, <laughs> which is theory and oral, which I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, but I also do pop composition. Uh, that's uh, one of the modules for the. Uh, pop students and the electronic music musicians. And I also do main study composition. Uh, but uh, our composition program is a little bit different from the conservatory, which is uh, Yong Suto. I think you, you know that institution, a very prestigious institution and different from NAFA as well uh, in that the composition program in La Salle is a bit more commercial. Uh, meaning uh, I do pop composition with them, uh, big band arranging and composition, uh, as well as composing for media, uh, which is animation, game music, uh, film music. Because it's, a, it's an audio program and people don't see, so the, what we didn't mention so far is that the building of La Salle is such a beautiful building, and it was <laughs> actually appeared in the third season of Westworld series, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. It did. Yeah, It's yeah, yeah. It's such a yeah. beautiful and futuristic building. So I can uh, encourage all the listeners to go and Google La Salle College of the Arts in Singapore and just see what a beautiful and futuristic building uh, it thank is. Thank you. Thank you. And what is pop composition? When you say you, uh, you teach pop composition, what is exactly the thing that you teach? Is it uh, songwriting, commercial music? No, pop composition, actually, I think you, you described it better, songwriting. So teaching the, the, the kids how to write songs. Yeah. Uh, the module, the first sem is usually about uh, just the constructing of melody, constructing of harmony, uh, style, you know, kind of rhythms and the kind of thing. And the end of that first sem, uh, they submit a lead sheet with a pop song. The second sem gets interesting because the second stem, sem, we go into arranging Yeah, and so instrumentation, and they have to submit a full score. So, you know, we go into drum, uh, drum rhythms, drum writing, how to write for guitar, how to write for bass. Uh, and this is one of my favorite parts. We, we scroll through and we listen to all kinds of music, you know, whether it's on Spotify or whatever, all these other streaming platforms. We look at what's trending, what's new, what's exciting, and how we can, uh, yeah, produce hits. Interesting, interesting. And let's get back to you as a composer. So what are your sources of inspiration? I mean, when you start a new piece, how do you start from the blank and empty page? <laughs> okay, so actually, I, I don't start with a blank or empty page. Uh, if you're talking about composing for myself, right? You're talking about just my own pure compositions, not, not, not doing a commercial composition, right? Okay. Actually, both. So, If you can answer both uh, genres, oh, okay. it would be interesting. Obviously, for when, when I have to write something for a client, I have the brief. Okay? So if I'm working uh, on, a, on a musical, 
Okay, I have the script, the story, and the director or the 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 yeah, the director or the scriptwriter will tell me I need a song for the scene. The scene that is easy. This is like scoring, right, to film. Um, but when it comes to pure composition or writing, uh, I I will say I don't start with a blank because usually there is an idea, a a problem, <laughs> or a concept that's gripping me. That 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 moves me. Um, so when I started with uh, Jeremiah, this was two thousand and six or seven. Uh, when I wrote, wrote that and I wanted to write that, it was that book of Jeremiah that moved me. And then uh, two years later, uh, two no, thousand nine or ten, when I worked with Jeremiah, and that took me the longest time. It was the problem of suffering and that story, that compelling but difficult and really awful <laughs> story. But it was it drew me in. And then after that, I, I, I said, okay, what, what next? And then I looked at the songs of Ascent and those beautiful and yet also equally disturbing. But, but you know how it is with, with things that, that, that move. They're not always just pretty and beautiful, but they're bits that are troubling. And maybe one of my, the things that compels me to create, uh, it's, it's, it's that the music or writing music helps me to analyze, unpack, uh, solve some of these so-called problems. Yeah, so that, that's my approach. So coming to the songs of a sense, even as I'm writing and sketching and orchestrating those beautiful psalms, um, it's a back and forth thing. I go back to the to, to the words of the psalms, I meditate, I, and then I go back to the, the manuscript the sketchbook and I write sketches and sometimes, no, I, I, I find something better, but it's that back and forth thing. So it's Never quite a blank page, if you know what I mean. But yes, the staff, the lines may be blank for now, but the ideas and the the, the concept is, is not blank. That's very interesting, you know, because I usually tell my students also that they are not only composing with uh, on the piano or with a pen and paper, they are also composing while walking in the streets, you know, and thinking and conceptualizing their uh, new piece. So it's very interesting that you said that that the process of composition starts uh, not only when you are writing on the page, but also when you're thinking and walking in the street. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have a confession and I, I mean, I hope the, the, the local traffic police don't get a <laughs> wind of this on the podcast. It's a funny one. This is many years ago. I, I was tasked to write uh, music for a beautiful children's book called The Three Trees. Okay. Um, and as I was driving, okay, don't do this, guys. Don't do this. It's very dangerous. <laughs> this is pre-handphone. Okay. Oh, well, it was a pre-handphone. But anyways, I was driving and to my to my defense, there is a very long traffic light. And it, it I wait there and there's long traffic jam. And usually I it takes me three or four lights before I get across. This is on the way home every day. So I have had my notebook next to me in the car and while I was waiting at the traffic jam oh I have a melody I don't take it out and I scribble a melody oh I have a line and I'd scribble and I tell you I wrote half more than half the musical in the car at those traffic lights just waiting for the lights to to change so yeah so you know what you can write music anywhere and sometimes the best ideas come when you're not doing anything right just sitting at the lights That's great. And we don't encourage our listeners no, to no. Uh, compose and drive as well as we don't encourage <laughs> to drink and drive. So don't drink and drive and don't compose and drive, right? <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't driving. I was at the light. 
<laughs> that's interesting. Wow, that's very interesting. And you know, Belinda, I wanted to ask you, so in the last episode, in episode four of the podcast, we had Jeff Bill, the composer, Hollywood mm. composer of uh, House of Cards and many other TV series and films. And we had a very interesting discussion about uh, tonal versus atonal music. And I was wondering about your perspective on that, because I would say from the 1950s, there is always this dilemma. Also, when you teach composition, there's also the dilemma uh, if you want your students to write only tonal music or only atonal music, or you let them choose whatever they want to choose. So what is your perspective on that, both as a composer yourself and as a teacher, uh, as a composition teacher? Okay, so there's no wrong answer here, right? Of course. <laughs> I'm not going to get cancelled, right? <laughs> no, no. Okay, um, as a teacher, uh, it, it, I let them do whatever they want, right? Yeah. In fact, as a teacher, I encourage them to go beyond the tonal because I'm not sure what your students are like in, in the Academy of Jerusalem, but in LaSalle, the students that I, I have so far over the years prefer the tonal prefer you know common practice period type harmonies and progressions and I actually have to encourage them guys you gotta go beyond the tonal let's try some tonal ambiguity let's go to some chromaticism oh, okay okay and so they go to the chromatic stuff you know and they're quite happy because as you know there is chromaticism in film music and and, and game music which they enjoy and then of course you know come year two and we're doing um ba2 classical theory uh schoenberg we get introduced to schoenberg webern um and 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 all the other atonalists and then they start to ah, yeah, get a little bit uncomfortable with you know serialism but i encourage them to yeah so um as far as i'm concerned in in la salle as i teach i need to actually encourage my students to go beyond uh, what they're comfortable with uh, and embrace tonality, atonality, tonal ambiguity, and even noise. Now, I have colleagues uh, in electronic music and, and actually even the, our jazz musicians, uh, jazz lecturers are very into free jazz. So the whole world of noise, now noise is not even um, tonal. Not even atonal, it's noise. Uh, and so they, so my students are actually exposed to not just uh, atonality, but to noise as well, which is which is a good thing. My position, though, uh, as a composer and both as, as an educator is there, for me, there is a place for tonal music and a place for atonal and a place for noise. There is a place. But what place? So I tell them this is my personal opinion, right? I don't think any one of us has a corner on truth, but... My, my personal opinion, um, and I go back to actually music semantics, meaning the meaning behind music. And I think as film composers, like yourself, we understand what sounds trigger what emotions, right? Yeah. So I, I always tell my students, we're not always writing music for academics and intellectuals. So to, to be honest, when we go to a concert, and you know those concerts where it's really avant-garde, really futuristic, and the sounds that are, uh, or the music, uh, that is presented there is often not not easy. It's it's you, you can't leave the hall singing and humming the tune or tapping your feet. Not at all, right? Um, and and there's value in that kind of music. But my point to the, the the students is always bear in mind who you're writing the music for. What is the music for, and what is the purpose of the music? If you are writing something that is 
peaceful, that is supposed to paint a peaceful, quiet atmosphere, a, a romantic atmosphere, maybe you'd want to go atonal, right? But if you is a chase scene, if there's drama, there's fear, there is conflict and tension, yeah, go ahead, please. You need your 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 atonality, you need those dissonances. So basically, basically that. I agree with you, actually. My, I myself also write both tonal music and atonal music uh, when I'm doing music for films or, or music for trailers or music for a horror scene, you know? So each scene and each emotion requires a different type of music. And I totally agree with you. And I wanted to ask you about career uh, opportunities because, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, it's called rewind an optimistic podcast about career in music and this optimism is something which is actually very important to me in the last I would say couple of years especially this year and I was wondering about your tips and a value that you can share with the listeners about career in music so first of all what would be your tips for your students and for the listeners that I are aiming toward a musical career Oh, that, that this is a very um, important question because um, in in Singapore, yeah, uh, with uh, I, I keep using I think Asian parents and all that, but it's 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 a thing. We are very practical, so a lot of Asian parents in the first place don't encourage their children to take up music or to go into the arts. I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, if, even for myself, right? Which is why law was kind of put on me. And when I said I wanted to do music, my parents, my mom was like, "Oh." You're crazy. So it, I'm not going to lie. I want to be optimistic. It, it's not easy. So the, the thing that I do tell my students is, first of all, you have to stay in touch. Stay in touch with the industry and what's happening out there, um, which is, again, another reason why the, the composition program in La Salle is pitched as a commercial composition program. I always tell my students, whatever you learn here, I, I want to make sure, yes, yes, you become a composer and you can write beautiful music and yada, yada, yada. But more importantly, or maybe, I don't know if it's more importantly, but I think it's important to me that you can put food on the table with your music. Yeah? So to stay in touch with what the market demands, what kind of music do people need how do you sell your music today? How I sold my music back in the day in the late 80s and 90s is very, very different um, from you know, how music is being sold uh, and listened to today, actually. So my advice to them is to always keep their ears on the ground and to find out what the market is like and to keep keep abreast uh, not just with the trends and you know like what's hip what's cool with the styles honestly retro is coming back <laughs> so in terms of, of of the sound not not so much that yes and no but really how music is being marketed where uh, where is the buying and selling where are the buying and selling platforms yeah definitely and you said that Asian culture is very practical right so you would say that Asian parents do not encourage their children to go and study music and art at all yeah I mean it sounds terrible I mean I teach in a music school but how many times during open house you know have I had parents come up to me and ask me in my to my face so can my son or my daughter um you know make a living as a musician and I want to say yes with a smile really quickly I go yes <laughs> It's a, it's a, always a long answer. 
And at the end of the day, of course, it depends on the individual and how proactive, how hungry and um, how relevant they want to stay. I think the important thing um, is, and I may be repeating myself, is to know what, what the market is at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, and again, five years ago, very different from what's happening now. I mean, I have, I have stories of some of my friends who never embraced um, technology. So just a real quick story of you, if you don't mind. It's my sure. cautionary tale, which I tell my students, right? I have a very good friend who was a sound engineer and uh, he was excellent. But back in the day, you know, remember the two-inch Studer tapes? Were you even born, Amit? <laughs> two-inch Studer tapes, everything was analog. And when you had to patch cables, it wasn't even the small uh, mini jacks. It was those huge, what do you call them? Like, you know, Canon type cables. But anyways, this is back in the day. And he did a really good job back then. Great ears, yada, yada, everything. But came the 90s, I think. That was when um, we moved away from the analog tapes you know, to Pro Tools in the studios. Everything was digital audio, but he just never took on the whole digital thing. So long story short, he lost his job in the studio from becoming sought after mixing engineer and, and, and recording engineer to someone who only did a few live gigs here and there. So very, very sad, lost his job and in the end had to supplement uh, his income working at the supermarket as a stalker, you know, stacker in, in, in the evenings. So my my and it sounds terrible. It's not exactly a very optimistic uh, a story. But it has an optimistic twist, I guess. No, but I want I wanted my students to see how you know it's very important to stay abreast. You can be on top of it. Okay, it's easy when you're 25. When you're 35, when you're 45, you gotta keep you know abreast, keep updated. Um, don't rest on what you knew 10, 20 years ago. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think it's not just in the music industry, but any industry really, yeah, to just keep on top of things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think especially nowadays when you have AI that is uh, changing all industries. So, you know, even the, the music industry, the, the painting industry, the, you know, designer, graphic designers have to change everything they knew because there is now Dali and all the AI-generated art. When you said um, being aware of the industry, so most of the musicians, you would say, in Singapore, do they work in the Singapore music industry? Because, for example... I work a lot. Uh, most of my work is actually outside my own country. And this is something that is very easily done nowadays because of the internet and because of Zoom. You know, you and I are in contact for many years now, only through yes. Zoom. We've met only once. You got to come back, Amit. Okay, I will. <laughs> During my first and only visit so far to Singapore. Would you say that most of the jobs that your students will find are in Singapore or also outside the country? I would say a mixture of both. So even when I was working in the production company, yeah, we had some local jobs, but truth be told, a lot of the jobs, uh, the arranging and orchestrating jobs that I had were from Taiwan and Hong Kong. So we did arrangements for Taiwanese singers and Hong Kong singers. There's a much larger market right over there. Um, but we also did some local things as well. So the musicians today, um, some of my friends uh, are still active in the arranging industry and they arrange they're still arranging for Taiwan and Hong Kong um, singers abroad so it's a mixture of both in and out uh, and then the performance I would say most of our performers will perform here 
But truth be told, mm, I don't know any full-time performers, as in those who only perform. I know uh, most of the musicians here are freelancers, so they perform, um, they may teach some at, at the various music schools, um, they may even write some music, they may do uh, session singing for commercials and jingles. So it's, 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 it's a lot of um, freelance, it's a freelance economy, most of it here then for some of these uh, musicians. And sometimes they may perform in Indonesia, in Malaysia. I've had students who've moved uh, yeah, to, to perform in other countries as well. Interesting. I think this is what is called nowadays portfolio career. And I think this is the ah. new 21st century musician because I've been uh, talking about this with many of my friends in all over the world. I mean, this is how a musician makes a living nowadays doing a couple of things and not only as you said not only doing one very narrow uh yep. thing right yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah i think it's all over the music industry nowadays and i think it's good because it brings many new opportunities to uh, musicians especially mm. if they are, have versatile skills so they can right. they can offer different services and products to the industry and maybe even if I may add a different sound, sometimes, you know, like I remember back in the 90s, early 90s, the Taiwanese would like like to come to Singapore and maybe explore Singapore in the ranges because apparently <laughs> we have a different sound. Yeah, it's still mandal pop, Mandarin pop, but apparently the, the in Singapore, the arrangers here have a slightly different sound. So yeah, you never know. Interesting. So you do also hear Mandarin pop in yes. Singapore, right? Oh, mandal pop because uh, of the Chinese population. So a lot of our Chinese listeners listen and yeah, they sing mandal pop. So there are two languages, uh, official languages in Singapore, uh, uh, no. English and English, Mandarin. No, English is is the the main official language, but the Chinese um, people they sometimes well, I I don't do a lot, but the Chinese people also speak Mandarin or Chinese dialect. And then the Malays, now the Malays, they speak English, obviously, but they also speak Malay and they listen to Malay pop. Now, some of my students, Malay LaSalle students, uh, music students have done very well in the Malay market, Malay TV, um, Malay radio, Malay pop scene, and they even go to uh, Malaysia and, and make a name for themselves. So this is a very interesting point because hmm, when it comes to Mando pop, and um, Malay pop, uh, these two sectors are actually easier to, 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 to break into. Now, when I said I was writing and arranging music for, for Taiwan and Hong Kong, I was actually writing um, Mando, uh, rather arranging Mando pop songs. I, I don't do lyrics, Amit. I do the music, but, but it's for Mando pop, Mandarin singers. And for Hong Kong, the singers would be singing in Cantonese, which is a Chinese dialect. But uh, if you're not aware, Mandel pop is like J-pop or K-pop. The music is still, well, kind of Western pop music, but the lyrics are in, in their own language. And back to you, Belinda, about your own career. So I always like to ask guests, where do they see themselves in five years from now? So where do you see yourself? What is your dream for yourself in the music world in five years from now? 
That is a very interesting question because five years from now, I would probably still want to be an educator in LaSalle. Yeah, like I said, um, uh, I am 58 this year. So five years from now, I'll be 63. And of course, my friends, uh, some of them have retired and asking me, wow, 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 you're still working. Why don't you just take it easy? You know, aren't you going to look forward to being a grandma soon <laughs> and that kind of thing? But I think in five years now, I will still want to be an educator uh, in LaSalle. And one of the things that I find very fulfilling um, being an educator is uh, the whole idea of um, passing on the baton um, and and passing on some kind of uh, legacy, not to make it sound heavy. And actually, last week, I had the honour of um, attending what we call the Young Artist Award Ceremony in Singapore. So one of my students, he's, 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 he's not a young man, his name is Julian Wong. And um, I, I taught him some uh, theory back then, um, helped him uh, in his application to Berkeley. Um, and uh, he, when he graduated, uh, I kind of um, introduced him to the musical theater scene. He was a, a keyboard player, piano for when I was music director. But uh, after a while, I found, you know, burning the candle at two ends. At the time, I had kids, young kids. Uh, they're much older now. And I kind of passed the, the, the gig on to him. And he became music director. So long story short, he, he became very successful. So successful uh, that the, the National Arts Council recognized him. It's like a cultural award for young people. So long story short, I went to the ceremony and, and, and I felt so proud. You, you know, um, it was such a lovely, fulfilling moment. And, and that's, that's just Julian. And Julian's a wonderful guy. And then I have other students when I go to their concerts and I listen to their orchestrations and my hair would stand and I, dang, I don't think I can write like that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, they, they, they're so sweet. They honor me and they thank me and all that. And I think to myself, wow, this is, it's not just, you know, writing me. Sure, I love comp composing and writing music, but this other um, yeah, this other the, the the part of being a musician, the passing on the baton and just, you know, teaching nuts and bolts. And you just never know, you know. Uh, so in five years, I want to carry on doing in 10 years, as long as I, you know, haven't lost my own nuts and bolts. Uh, I would love to continue passing the baton. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of writing my music, I, I have a few things that I'm looking forward to finishing. You took me such a long time, but so Songs of Ascent, and it's part of a triptych. So Eob is one part, Songs of Ascent is the second. There's a third part, maybe the New Jerusalem. I, I got to work on that. So the three-part triptych, I hope I can finish it when we next meet. <laughs> um, and there is a musical that I'm working on right now also called Word for the Year. Um, basically, uh, songs about all the 66 books of, of, of the Bible and making it in a very campy, fun, non-threatening way, you know, just to give it a, a nice overview. But that's another story. So over the next five years, I actually, I have quite a lot of things on my uh, on my plate that I'm slowly trying to to write and to finish, apart from teaching and and, you know, doing the nuts and bolts thing. Yeah, and good luck with all those uh, interesting projects. And what you said about teaching, I uh, definitely agree. I always think that being a musician is, and being a teacher and educator are um, complementary parts of the um, of the soul, I would say, or mm. of, the, of being a musician. Because I think, you know, since Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, all of them were teachers as well. And it's not only, I mm. think, a ways 
of uh, ways of making a living. I'm, I don't think it was only just because of the money. I think it's something very deep and profound inside a musician that, as you said, uh, passing the baton and mm. bringing your experience to the next generations. So this is something very deep in a musician. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So like I said, it's, it's, it's nice to write music, right? And I love, you know, love it when the, the music works and it sounds great. But it's another feeling when, when I, I, you know, attending that ceremony or just listening to my other student, Jermaine Go, that's her name. Um, her orchestrations are so beautiful. And I sit there and I'm like, wow, <laughs> she wrote that. Damn. <laughs> well, in my read, you know, did I teach what what did I teach her? I don't remember, you know, being responsible for this. It's it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's in the Bible very a very nice sentence that I always repeat to my students as well. Um, I think the English version would say something like, teach the boy at his own way. Yes. Did I get it right? Teach the boy yes. at his own way. And it's something yes. very, very deep, I think, because it's also being a parent, you know, teach yes, the boy absolutely. at his own way, because you cannot decide for the student and for your children what to be. Mm -hmm. You need to mm -hmm. uh, let them lead the, lead the path of their own, you know, yeah. life. But you need just yeah. to be there and guide them and teach them in their own way. So I think it's a very beautiful sentence that describes what we sh as uh, teachers should do. Totally agree, yeah. And, and the, the word parent there is, is quite cute because um, my, my students sometimes, they come up to me and says, you know, you, you're, you're not just our teacher, you're like our mother. And I'm like, oops, sorry. <laughs> so Belinda, two last questions before we end this very, very interesting and full of inspiration episode. So first of all, about La Salle and studying in Singapore. So maybe some of the listeners are interested in studying abroad. So yes. first of all, how many years is a degree in uh, La Salle College of uh, Music and College of the Arts. And mm -hmm. how many degrees do you have? Sure. So you're talking about music, right? Because I, I don't know about photography and all the other departments. Sure. Music, but yeah. in music, yeah, the BA program, it's a three-year honors program. Um, and we have uh, the performance performing streams are pop, jazz, uh, and uh, we have electronic music. We also have classical these are the performing streams. And then we have composition. Yeah. So the composition program is, is what, uh, what uh, I'm heading up. Yeah. So these are the five different streams. Yeah. Um, Three-year program. And uh, if you're interested in coming, um, there is an audition, a portfolio audition. Usually we're looking at uh, three contrasting pieces. We, so you videotape yourself playing, uh, performing these three contrasting pieces, or if it's composition or EM, electronic music, then you show us a portfolio of the three different works that you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there is a bit of an oral uh, test, oral and theory online test. Um, and it's I, I, I always tell potential applicants not to stress too much about that. That's just to give us a gauge. Uh, as to where you know where you're at because we have students coming from different backgrounds we even take in students who can sing or can play really well but may not have had any formal theory or oral education and and that's okay I think uh, what we stress on uh, in La Salle is actually just your musicality yeah um, as for nuts and bolts don't worry I'll handle that 
<laughs> when when the students come in. Uh, and and after the preliminary um, uh, uh, admission, uh, then we the next stage would be the interview segment where we will interview potential candidates. Um, if you're a foreign student, then it'll be by Zoom. Yeah, and we'll have a little chat with uh, our potential candidates. Okay, thank you. That's a beautiful attitude. And it reminds me my favorite anecdote, which I also... Um, uh, which I also uh, mentioned in the first episode of the podcast. Uh, and it is about uh, the great composer Giuseppe Verdi, who was not accepted to the Milan Conservatory of Music, who is nowadays mm. named after him. So Giuseppe wow. Verdi was not accepted into the Verdi Conservatory <gasps> of Music. <laughs> That's amazing. I like that story. Oh, yeah. cool. I always repeat it to students or, you know, after they have like received a rejection or from somewhere. So... You know, everybody gets rejections and even the great Giuseppe Verdi was not accepted to the wow. Verdi Conservatory of Music. <laughs> great story. Love okay. it. Okay. One last question, Belinda. So sure. any other tips that you can uh, bring from your experience to um, emerging musicians or emerging composers, either what to do or what not to do in their musical career? What to do? Well, the what to do, I think I've already said that. Never stop learning. Never stop learning um, music and beyond music. Yeah, um, keeping up with technology, keeping up with trends, uh, what is out there. I think that's that's very important. To stay relevant. What not to do? This is a funny one that I learned from Dick Grove, the man himself. Yeah, and it's a funny line. I don't know if if it'll get lost in translation. Don't fall in love with your music. <laughs> Dick Grove. Yeah, and we asked him, Dick, what do you mean by don't fall in love with your music? And he said something like, you know, in his very, uh, yeah, he, he had a real funny attitude. So he says, when you fall in love with your music, that's when you stop wanting to tweak it, make improvements on it, when you don't take feedback or criticism on it. And, and that's dangerous. Yeah. So he says, if you want to be a really good musician, don't fall in love with your music. Not too quickly anyways. So. That's great. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Don't fall in love with each and every note that you put on the paper because <laughs> it can be changed. Nothing will happen to the music if you change that C to uh, D or something like yeah. that. It's yeah. the overall impact of the music that counts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much, Belinda Fu from Singapore, lecturer at the School of Contemporary Music at La Salle College of the Arts for such a great, optimistic and full of inspiring stories and experiences episode. Thank you, Amit, for having me. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I will also thank all the listeners for tuning in. Feel free to reach out with any questions. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, or through my email listed on my website, where I share more content about musical career issues. You can visit my website at www.awinermusic.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast and give it a follow. It will help it reach more people who might find it interesting. And if you liked this episode, don't forget to rewind it and send it to a friend. I will see you in the next episode with another awesome guest. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions.
stay tuned. It's going to be epic.